Welcome to Hub City Homers. I have actually now even lost count of the episodes we are up to, which is kind of wild considering that when we started this as a little experiment, we weren't even sure how long we'd go. But the show goes on. You guys have enjoyed it so far, and I hope you enjoy this episode. As of our recording of this, we are a couple of days out from the West Virginia Mountaineers. It's going to be a tough matchup for Tech and a critical one to win at home. We're also going to look at the Kansas. But before any of that, we're going to recap the, the what was a pretty one-sided second half in the Iowa State game that led to a blowout victory. And important to note that we will have a couple of special episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks with the SEC Challenge right around the corner and the, the February 1st matchup with Texas Tech. So a lot of content tonight, a lot of great content in the future. We're going to get right into it, though, tonight with a first, a little, uh, I guess, a, a little uh, a congratulatory message to all uh, Texas Tech season ticket holders for the baseball program who were able to secure their tickets. I have heard rumors that there were, you know, at least like a thousand people in the waiting line behind everybody who got a ticket. So I, I want to applaud the fan base for really buying into what Tadlock has brought to Lubbock and once again selling out the season tickets. I, I, that, that's quite an accomplishment to, to consistently be able to count on your season ticket holders to step in and buy them up. I mean, there, there are not many schools in the nation in any sport who have this much success selling these tickets, uh, which always brings up the, the usual gripe about why isn't the stadium bigger, which when we get to our baseball preview, I am probably going to give Jack just like 10 minutes to rail about baseball funding because we haven't done that in a while. And at some point, somebody hopefully will listen and we'll see some more facilities money go to baseball. But just for tonight, just congratulations to to the program and the fans for making that happen. And baseball season is already right around the corner. But we are still in basketball season to start. And like I said, we're going to start this show off talking about the Iowa State victory. It was, as a t- common trend with Tech home games of recent years, kind of, of a one-sided affair. The Red Raiders have blown out a lot of Big 12 teams at home, a surprising number of Big 12 teams at home. Iowa State being one of the higher-rated teams to come to Lubbock and just get beaten down. But, you know, the performance as a whole wasn't 100% clean. So before we get to the good, let's focus on the bad. You know, I think I want to keep the positivity train going as much as anybody, but I think it's important to get the bad out of the way so we can then get right back into what's going right for this program. So I'm going to start with the order by going to Kendall with this one, with with just a common question. You know, you watch the Iowa State game, and while the score was even more drastic than it appears at the end, thanks to some garbage time buckets, um, you know, the first half and about a quarter of the second half were highly competitive. What did you see from Texas Tech that, you know, was going wrong during that, you know, part of the game where they really only maintained a one, two score lead? And, you know, how, how does Tech need to address those deficiencies in order to avoid a, a similar problem going down the line against the, the, the incredibly deep Big 12? Um, I would just start in that second half. Uh, one thing that worried me was, um, really while tech was being really aggressive, um, I felt that sometimes we were waiting till later in the shot clock and we weren't getting necessarily great shots, but we were getting foul calls. And I guess just majority of the second half, uh, we, we were on the foul line and we're going to get games where refs just aren't giving us those calls, especially games on the road. 
that uh, offensively, I think we just need to get a couple more things figured out, and that'll come with time. Uh, the team still just didn't look comfortable with uh, TJ out there, which, you know, these are the games that you want him to get back, though. Like, the K-State game, I, that was a major factor into why we didn't come out on top was just uh, the minutes with TJ in there. Um, we just looked significantly worse offensively. But this game, I think in the second half, he actually started to look much better. He was a lot more mobile. So that was a really good sign. But uh, And really, the first half, we weren't hitting our free throws. And that's a combination just waiting to go bad. You know, like a team that hasn't consistently shot free throws great, also relying on, you know, getting to the line because that's where we're going to win and lose games this year. So I think that offensively, I just would like to see some better, like, I guess, shot creation instead of, like, when we get a lead, we kind of just take our foot off the gas almost and wait to the end of the shot clock where I would rather us kind of just keep doing what's working and not necessarily focus on uh, if we build up a smaller lead, trying to just maintain it instead of kind of just pushing the ball down their throat and just keeping going. Jack, I'll let you go next. Same same question. What did you see in this game that, at least to some level, has you worried about Tech going forward that might have gotten a little bit hidden because it, this game turned into such a blowout? I'm going to just piggyback off Kendall, what he said, um, you know, and for, to me, it's a huge issue. And it's the fact that your team still looks uncomfortable with it, with its leading scorer on the floor. Um, that's not something that you like to see, even as just a, uh, what I like to call a living room fan or a, or a sitting couch fan, armchair quarterback kind of type thing. That's uh, not something that you like to see from watching it. Um, it does. It worries me greatly that it's been two games in a row now. Uh, if, I mean, if you want to pull up your, the stats on your on your own, uh, Terrence Shannon uh, had the least amount of points for the starters. Um, I mean, he only had four. He went two of six from the floor, zero of three from three. Had a couple of dumb fouls, and uh, still just didn't didn't quite look right out there. Um, I think I saw a tweet. I, I can't remember who tweeted it, but um, it might have been you, Mike, honestly, uh, from from the Viva account that said, you know, 80%. I think he looks more like 40%. And uh, I think in all reality, that's more uh, accurate of what he's probably playing at is closer to like 50, 40 or 50%. Uh, I, just, I just think that if he was truly at 80%, we'd see a lot more uh, rhythm to his game and a lot more free-flowing – aspects of it which we're just not seeing he looks very he looks very hesitant to do anything with the ball and um even on that alley-oop he came down and you could just tell he wasn't really you know he wasn't really all over the place and and hyped like everyone else was he was just kind of like okay that kind of felt weird uh I didn't really like that so um another another thing that I'd like to throw out there um I don't really like to disagree with coaching staffs uh, a lot, and I'll, and I'll keep this brief. And for who, if either of you two want to 
comment on it. It's fine. Uh, I I really don't know why Malik Wilson's minutes have gone down. He played six minutes against Iowa State, and he didn't get in until we were well out of harm's way uh, in the second half. I just the only thing that I can think of is that his knee is still bothering him, and if that's the case, that's fine. Uh, then by all means, uh, keep him off the floor if his knee's still bothering him. But then again, it doesn't make sense that if his knee's still bothering that you'd put him in in garbage time. So um, I really don't know what the what the deal is there. Uh, obviously, we're not in practice every day. Um, it really kind of bugs me because, you know, his his game, I feel like, fits this offense so well. And, and yeah, I understand that you're not going to take minutes away from McCuller or, uh, you know, I mean, Terrence Shannon, even when he's playing kind of bad. But, I mean, you need to get your other guards in there. The thing is, your top guy off the bench right now is Adonis Arms, who's also in that guard position. But I also think that Malik Wilson's game is such an asset to this team that it should be utilized more than it is being. And I think that is another gripe that I have, but that really exhausts my negatives for the game. I just want to make a quick comment. Then Mike, I'll let you kind of give your whole spiel, but I think the problem is, and it's a good problem for tech to have, but I mean, fans, it's probably going to frustrate them is this team is ridiculously deep at guard. Because if you think about it, just in the starting lineup, you have Kev uh, and TJ, but also you have uh, Davion Warren, who I think him and Arms are interchangeable. So you're four, really four of your top players are guards. And um, I think that you want to get Frenchie and Malik both in there. But when it comes down to that, I think your rotation only has room for one of those two consistently because we're with how much uh how active our bigs are down low and on the perimeter they're going to get tired a lot faster than uh a lot of other bigs and considering Mark Adams has loved the two big lineup uh we only have room for really like five guards within the rotation and uh Really, I think I wish that they would go to a six guard rotation and kind of have more lineups with one big. But as of right now, just the what they've been doing all year, there really just isn't for how much talent we have at guard. Like you're seeing Chibuzo Agbo get zero minutes a game unless we're up by 20. And I think there's a lot of teams within the power five conferences that you could go to and he could probably be getting good playing time. But with text depth. Uh, they just have so much talent. And so I think it's also coming down to experience, uh, which you're seeing Frenchie and uh, Malik are the two youngest guys in that guard rotation. So I think that could also be playing a factor too. I would say my biggest thing was what Jack said, which was about TJ's health. So I don't want to reiterate those points just because I think the only thing I can really add to that is just, you know, thank thank God that TJ's getting a week. You know, he he desperately needed this week 
to, to just get practice reps, you know, continue his physical therapy, continue, you know, get, get, get his wind back, continue to get back into the flow of the team. And I, I, I believe we, we talked about, I talked about this on the pregame spaces. It's just TJ missed time to be with these guys. That's hard to get back. You know, you can't fake, you know, six games worth of experience as a team. So that, that, that's concerning. You are not as good if Terrence Shannon Jr. is not, you know, playing at the level of an, a future NBA pro. You just aren't. Uh, but the one thing I would bring up that uh, I noticed more than anything else as being concerning is I like that Kevin O'Banner's really embraced a role of being, you know, we're going to go clean up the glass. We're going to finish. We're going to play hard. We're going to play within the offense. But it's similar to TJ. Just the reality of the situation is, is a lot of tech ceiling is around three-point shooting. If you do not have a guy who can step out there and hit three-point shooting with any semblance of consistency, I'm not talking like Davide Moretti, like 45% level three-point shooting. I'm talking like, can you get a guy who's hitting 30, you know, consistently? Can you get multiple guys who hit over 30% consistently? You know, I think O'Banner, as of last check, was like 25%. You, He's the best pure shooter on the team. Like Adonis Arms has done a great job carrying some of the shooting weight, but the best shooter on this team, hands down, is Kevin O'Banner. He's the guy that everybody going into this year thought would take over the role of shooting three points with alongside, kind of funnily enough, Sadar Calhoun was another guy a lot of people thought would would saddle up with some of that role. But, you know, I like that he's finding ways to produce otherwise, but, you know, I hate to say it, but it's just not as valuable of a role as him being a knockdown three-point shooter. Because Marco Santos Silva does a lot of that stuff. Bryson Williams is starting to do more of that stuff. Bacho's early in his career, you know, not he's not obviously at that level yet. But those guys can do some of that stuff. What you don't have any ability to replicate is that three-point shooting. You know, McCullough's not a three-point shooter. Shannon's not a three-point shooter. Um, even Adonis Arms is not a three-point shooter. In reality, he, he's he's done a good job picking up some of that role. Uh, Davion Warren's not much of a three-point shooter. You just don't have anybody outside of O'Banner who you expect to go out there and just knock down threes at a pretty you know even clip. And that that concerns me because you know I I, I don't want to take away from what he's doing you know because points are points. But if you told me like he's gonna go. Four for eight from three. You know, he's going to shoot a, a solid 50% or whatever from three. Most games, if he's taken between five to eight, I would think that those are games that Tech probably wins if he's making threes at that clip. Just because that means, like, so much more of the offense is unlocked if you force defenses to extend and play. Um, the the I don't think, you know, he has forgotten how to shoot. I just think he's in a funk and he's going to have to shoot himself out of it. And just, I don't know if there's, you know, room in this offense for him to do that. So he's going to have to start doing it on his own. And we're just going to have to pray that it clicks because you will be far less likely to make a deep tournament run, you know, relying on just uh, uh, two point shooting. You can do it. Tech's building their offense around it. There's nothing wrong with the idea of winning these like slugfest games. I like them to be, you know, these, the, I like to see these defensive battles, but you know, you, if you can add an actual offensive weapon on the perimeter, 
it just gets easier. Everything gets easier when you can do that with how good Tech's been attacking the rim. Just imagine if guys had to think a little bit longer about a three-point shooter. Because well, right now, for, for what it's for what it's worth to to amplify your point, Bryson Williams is our top three-point percentage guy right now. Yeah, I mean, like what you're seeing is teams are just straight up leaving Tech's guards open. Like no 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 offense to Tech's offense, but we have way too many wide open looks from three, and the reason why is is uh, 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 what defenses are doing is they're doing kind of what the no middle does, but you know, be, just because they don't have to worry about it, they're just collapsing. They're collapsing inward. Tech is doing a phenomenal job of manufacturing offense despite that. But you know, Bryson Williams is the only guy right now making any threes of any semblance of accuracy, and that's just not his game. He's so much better to you for you being, you know, a, a stretch big, but being somebody down low, making moves at the paint, rebounding the basketball. It's just it's hard um, to watch that. So just kind of chiming in there, uh, a team that I've really said that this team really reminds me of is not the 2019 Final Four team, but actually the year before that, that Elite Eight team. Um, I feel like, at least personally, I had a lot of these same thoughts uh, about that team. You know, that team was so damn good at just attacking the rim week in, week out. But they weren't a solid uh, free throw shooting team and their demise in that Villanova game was their three-point shooting. And that's a lot of what I'm seeing now with this squad is uh, we're, we are elite inside, you know, like defensively and offensively. Like we are just – like we just – against Kansas, we outscored them, what was it, 44-19 to 19 in the paint. Baylor, a team that has been known for dominating the boards and dominating the paint this year – uh, we were able to beat them in the paint, and really that Iowa State game was the reason we won that game was because that second half, uh, Kevin O'Banner just absolutely destroyed Iowa State down low by getting a ton of offensive rebounds, second chance points, and getting to the foul line. And um, But I do think that this team has more shooting potential than that uh, 2018 team, so I think that... Um, you know, once our offense kind of starts to get better in full gear, like hopefully TJ starts getting healthier and we start to get our chemistry back and a lot more consistency. And I think that that is going to be the make or break, like Mike said, is the three-point shooting. But, yeah, I just wanted to throw in there, like this team is so similar to that 2018 team, though. Who was the who was the best or who was the three point guy on that team other than Moretti? It had to be like what Brandon Francis on Maybe the Keenan? team. Uh, yeah, Keenan. on the elite on the elite. Oh, oh Tommy yeah. Hamilton was a, sometimes a sniper. <laughs> there was specific games where Hamilton was able to hit from deep, but yeah, I would had, say you Keenan had just the rotation of Keenan Evans, Brandon Francis off the bench. Davide Moretti and Tommy Hamilton. Those and guys even Moretti that year, he wasn't like he was good, but he wasn't like the elite Davide from that uh, Final Four team. He he was like a I think if I remember, I thought it was like high thirties, maybe low. He was 40s. also bad at everything else that year. Oh I mean, yeah, he was he was aspect. unplayable his freshman year, which that was my biggest gripe about that team was how he got sometimes more playing time than like Naeem Stevenson off the bench. And it, it really just pissed me off. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to, that was my next question. I said Naeem Stevenson was on that squad too. So 
That was that was an interest. That was a that was a nice little ragtag group of guys. Now that you look back at it, it seems it seems like it was ten years ago in all that's happened around. Well, Lubbock, and if you look but, at this yeah. squad, it's like it's a very similar situation. Like a new head coach coming in, and you have like the guys who stayed along, built with a lot of transfers, and uh, you see that they're like right there, starting to like they're making headlines, national headlines, week in week out now, and like. It's just a very similar vibe to that year. What I also like to think about with that year is like it's it's underrated how good Keenan Evans was as a college basketball player. He didn't because his pro career was like always never really going to happen because as funny as this sounds like he just wasn't very athletic. He just was not very athletic compared to most guys. Um, You know, he wasn't particularly fast or springy, but there there was. You know, when his injury happened, that effectively, that and the fact you ran into a really good Villanova team, but that effectively, one, ended your Big 12 title run that year, and two, ended any hope of getting past Villanova, was was Keenan Evans not being able to get back to full strength. But you just have to think back on that team, like, where was the scoring coming from? It all came from Keenan Evans. I mean, it all came from he Keenan was, Evans. He has to be one of the most dominant, like, college guards that I've seen just consistently get to the rim no matter who was guarding because that year the big 12 had some great defensive guards like javon carter he could not stop keenan to save his life and uh like that if keenan's injury didn't happen when it did uh i mean he was still dropping 20 on teams with basically a broken foot like that that team with a healthy Keenan Evans probably is able to beat Villanova in my opinion, if they're just fully healthy. And the, the, the craziest thing about that is like the next year, the, the team is that, that next, that, that, you know, the, the national title runner up team was so good at everything. And then you try to think back to what was, you know, the elite eight team doing. And it's, it's kind of funny because it's harder to think about what made the elite eight team good. You know, like it's it's it was really a lot of it really was just the fact that like Zaire Smith was like a freak athlete and Keen Evans was just really fucking good at basketball and that's what made that show go. You know, everybody else just did their part. And um back to the present, as much as I like to think about at some point I will do we will maybe at the end of this basketball season, when all this sums up, we'll start looking back at like you know, the, the, the great tech teams of the last few years. And hopefully this team joins those ranks and we can really dig into that. Cause I think it's an interesting thought uh, exercise just to, to see the change and how, you know, what Chris Beard started, what Mark Adams has continued and built upon and made better, um, you know, taking tech basketball from, and really what Tubby Smith started, I think is all more than anything. I think Tubby Smith Agreed. deserves as much credit, Agreed. if not more than what Beard did. So yeah, I was um, I saw a couple things on that earlier and like really that first team that he took to the NCAA tournament uh that was to me that team was what really kind of started which was obviously Keenan Evans when they were a lot younger uh that was really just like the start to it and God, that was, did uh, a ton for the was program that, but... uh was that uh oh, shit Jake Crockett and all them that had to be wasn't it no, no that was Gotcher. Was, was he was earlier? It Gotcher? Or yeah, it's it was Gotcher. Gotcher. Yeah, Todd Gotcher. Gotcher and uh, shit, who else was on that? Yeah, Tommy Justin Hamilton. Gray. Yeah, Justin Gray, Gray was on was the Gray, Gray was on the Elite Eight team, but yeah, that had to be Gray's freshman year. It had to have been. 
That was that that was that opening class that ends up becoming the core nucleus of Beard's team. Which yeah. again is why like we Chris Beard I, I, I am never gonna play revisionist history with the Chris Beard era. But the reality of the situation is is like I remember his second season and you guys have no way of proving this. I have no way of proving this, but I'll make abundantly clear that I said it. Heading into the Elite Eight run, what I told my dad was this is the best team he's ever probably going to get. If he can't win with these guys, it's probably time to move on. Because after that first season, which they lost just every road game, I just remember thinking it's just like this. It's hard to explain kept not winning with these guys anymore. Like it's just Tubby Smith built a too good of a roster to keep losing. And then Chris Beard, obviously, with the help of Mark Adams, elevates the squad. Uh, uh, in successive seasons and really build something special. But, you know, heavy screwed pack in the end. So I, I do think that, um, you know, obviously he, it's it's a little hard feelings, though you do get to the Chris Beard error specifically because of that. So, again, I think, that, I think at some point it's worth looking back because it's kind of wild how over the span of three coaches, like, has really shaped tech basketball. Um I think that that's something that's like underrated is just, you know, to, to the, that you had it so many different things had to get together um, for you to actually be able to do that. Like so many things had to coalesce for tech to become what it was in basketball. And it just kind of fortuitous. Like I said, back to the present, we're going to talk a little bit briefly about some lessons learned from the Iowa state game on the positive end before we move on to previewing the West Virginia Mountaineers. So, on the positive end, I'll reverse the order and go to Jack first. You know, what did you see in that late second half? Well, I say late. It was more like 25% into the second half when Tech really just seized control of the game and never looked back. It went from being a 5-point lead to a 10-point lead to a 20-point lead. Like, what, what did you see the most of that has you, you know, excited for the rest of the season? What can Tech build upon and keep turning into wins? Uh, first off, I will I will admit my mistake. I was in the pregame spaces with uh, Kendall, and I said that I didn't think that either team would get to 60. Um, I also didn't expect, uh, you know, I didn't expect Tech to shoot however many free throws they shot in the second half. Uh, 38 would be the uh, number on that. That's a, that. Okay. I want to say this and I want to say this with all due respect. I will never cheer against a, a tech team, but uh, that's absurd. That's an absurd amount of free throws. And I mean, it's, I hate when refs make the game about them, and I'm not saying that this was about them. And looking back at it, a good amount of them were fouls, but there are a couple that I, even I was thinking to myself, like, I don't know about that. But to me, what I saw was, <laughs> is, I mean, I'll harp on this, a team that was making free throws. Uh, you know, this has been a team that has been notorious. If there has been one consistent thing all season with this team, other than the defense, it's been the poor free throw shooting. And it's unfortunate to say the least in that, but the free throw shooting has been abysmal. Let's not sugarcoat it for what it is. Uh, tech, tech coming into this game was averaging about 65 66% from the line. 
Uh, you turn around and you shoot 76% from the line, um, going 29 of 38 from the line. Um, you know, McCullers, three of four, Warren, six of eight, Bryson Williams, seven of eight, O'Banner, three of five, Bacho, two of three, uh, Nadolny, two for two, Arms, four for four, Santos Silva, two for four. Um, if I had, on a side note, if I had, if I won the lottery, I would pay a million dollars for Marcus Santos Silva to be able to shoot a free throw. But um, I saw a team that was relentless on the offensive boards. Uh, that's been another, I guess, I guess I'll add that in. That's been another, uh, you know, constant this year. The Tech has been a very, very good offensive rebounding squad. Um, they're towards the tops in the country, and I'm sure Kendall can – uh, get a stat for us, like uh, like where they are in terms of uh, you know offensive rebounds per game in the country. But I would be willing to bet they're up. They're they're in the top twenty five. I would be willing to bet, or at least in the tops of the Big Twelve. But um, you know, the team was very good on the offensive boards, and uh, I was just I was shocked that we shot thirty eight free throws. And to be even more quite honest, I was shocked that we made 29 of them. Uh, every, it seems like every time we got to the line, I was sitting there and I was like, crap, here we go. We're going to the line. Hopefully we can make something. But, um, you know, I, I do want to touch on another good thing. I, I, I mean, O'Banner was a rock star in this game. He played the least amount of minutes out of all the starters and uh, had 15 points. He had... 15 points, eight rebounds. Five of those eight were on the offensive end. Uh, he just killed it in the second half, and uh, he was just relentless on those boards. Um, I I don't know if I really have ever seen anything like that, uh, you know, other than, you know, possibly Tariq Owens a couple times, if we want to go touch back on the nostalgic point of this. Uh, but the offensive boards were great, and, uh, you know, I just – I was really, I was very happy and impressed with the free throw line in this game. I think that if you shoot 76%, as long as you get to the line 38 times, I don't think there are going to be a lot of games that you lose. You know what, uh, I'm going to let Kendall go next, but I will say, like, you know what the the happiest place on earth is when Tech shoots 38 free throws and makes, like, you know, 80% 80% of them it's the fucking Facebook message pages like that that's the that is the happiest place on the planet is when a team makes free throw it's Facebook because you know what pisses off old people who you know want to yell about stuff on Facebook you know what pisses them off more than anything it's missed Facebook. free throws I mean, it's, it's missed free throws and it'll never change you could win a game by 45 and you would still have people you know like commenting on the page about like you shot 40% from free throw line it's like yeah I get it but come on so I'm going to let Kendall go next, but I do want to make clear that, like, if you are one of the people who can, has consistently, and on Twitter I see it too, yelled at us about uh, um, free throws, I hope you enjoyed what, what had to have been the best I, night of your life. I think, I think before, I think I'm guilty of yelling a couple times about the free throws. Everybody. And, I, and, 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 I'll, and I'll own up to that, because there are times where it's been just, just blatantly god-awful. But this was, a, this was a more than welcome sight for this one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, everybody's guilty of free throws, but there are some people who just, like, that is the bone they pick no matter what you shoot at the line. 
So I hope for one magical evening, everyone was satisfied with that performance. But you, you, you go ahead, Kendall. Same question. What did you see that you'd like Tech to keep building on to keep securing more big W's? So just before I get into that, I just wanted to piggyback off of Jack's small comment on just the refereeing and stuff. The refing in basketball, in college basketball specifically, uh, it's not even just like the Big 12. It used to be just the Big 12, in my opinion, but now it's just throughout college basketball is just taking over and it's just terrible. It's like, I feel like most games that I'm watching at some point just get absolutely taken over by whistles, like no matter the situation. And uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. But what I saw that I really, really uh, liked in the second half, especially was we already hit on it was uh, O'Banner and just the offensive rebounds and stuff. And Jack, like, like Jack talked about, we are one of the top teams in the, uh, in the big 12, which the last two seasons of Beard's tenured were oh, the TJ Holyfield year, especially that's the year that always comes to mind. Like I was just convinced that they were not, um, like coaching, rebounding, or free throws. Like it was consistently the biggest problem in the past with Beard's teams to me were always rebounding and free throws. No matter who the personnel it felt like, we always just could not get a rebound when we needed to. And it killed us last season in a lot of games where we were right there at the end, but we just could not get a rebound to save our lives. I think Kansas comes up as one against McCormick. Uh, he killed us last season, and Baylor in both games they killed us last year on the boards. So it's a been a just a pleasant sight in the second half of the season, or second half of or the first half, but second half uh, of just really we're stepping up our rebounding game because I was worried earlier in the year, like the Tennessee game, uh, it felt like we got killed on the boards. Gonzaga, we got destroyed, but. Uh, consistently after that we've just been uh killing it on the rebounding side so that is really going to be one thing that keeps us just playing this consistently especially in the paint because like you might not necessarily think that getting 45 to 50 points in the paint a game like you are against Kansas is uh you can you probably don't think you can do that consistently but tech if they really attack the boards there's not too many teams that are going to be able to keep tech off the boards if Baylor can't and um so I think if tech can keep that up consistently uh we're going to be no matter who we're playing we're going to be right there just about every single game and really that include like nationally not just within the big 12 but uh there's not too many teams nationally that uh, I've seen do what Tech is doing on the offensive glass. So uh, Baylor, I think, going into our, their game with us was the top offensive rebounding team in the nation. And I felt like in the second half, uh, they weren't getting anything down low from us. Uh, they were. It, it just felt like we completely closed out their offensive rebounding game. Uh, and like... Baylor is the cream of the crop when it comes to top teams in the nation. Like I know they struggled against Oklahoma state, but uh, once they get a Kinjo back fully healthy and, uh, and they get uh, Sochan, who is a very big part of that team. 
Uh, I think teams are going to see that that tech win on the road against Baylor when they were basically fully healthy, just missing uh, Sochan, that win is going to be a lot more respected because I do think Baylor is going to bounce back. But you're going to go look back at the rebounding numbers, and that's going to be really just the game that's kind of flipped everything on the glass for us. And uh, Iowa State, we just took over in that second half. Kendall makes a point, and I actually just read an article, I believe it was by The Athletic, regarding officiating college basketball. And I think it was uh, actually uh, uh, the, our, our buddy Seth, who is one of, you know, one of my favorite, you know, ESPN, um, uh, like uh, game day folks, just because he he's, has a tremendous respect for what Tech is doing. And you always love to see that. But I believe he wrote this article. I, I could be mistaken. And if I am, I apologize. But um, the, the gist of the article was talking about actually the opposite point, which is that there is an under uh, um, under uh, under um, called nature to college basketball. That freedom of motion is dying, and you know who always leads that rallying cry year in and year out is Jay Billis. Jay Billis could beats this dead horse if we stopped, you know, allowing defense to happen on the court. Like if we took all five guys off the court and just said, "You can just shoot." Both you're gonna get on either end, and whoever makes more shots wins. Jay Billis would still complain that freedom of motion is dead in college basketball, even though none of the numbers back this up. What does happen, at least from what you know, the numbers do support, is at the beginning of the season, it was one of the most tightly called, you know, eras of college basketball in a long time. The refs have started to loosen up. They've started to loosen up again with some notable, um, um, you know, exceptions, most notably being Doug Sermon. Will never loosen up. It just he's just not going to do it. He's never going to not make the game about him. So anytime you have a Doug Sermon called basketball game, and it's this, it's just a joke. You know he he's he's going to call as many fouls as he can blow his whistle for until the end of time. I mean it's just it's his thing. Um, uh, I have another one on that too. Uh, so I I had the privilege of covering possibly the ugliest college basketball game. Uh, so far this year in the Rutgers Iowa game yesterday, and um, court, and I thought the Big Twelve in the past, especially the Big Twelve refing, has just been like miles ahead of just everyone and how terrible it is. But it's starting to, I'm starting to notice. It's just like it's all throughout the country. Like, uh, like last night in the Iowa game, like they're getting a foul, a touch foul called with two seconds left in the game in a tie ball game, and it's like. It's just the calls like that, like they're so inconsistent and it's just ruining so, the flow of so many games. Yeah, it's just, I, I think that my bigger complaint with college basketball isn't that they're calling too many fouls or too little. It's that they they do either one or the other. There's either like no whistles blown or it never stops. I, I, I was an intramural basketball ref. And when you're at the intramural level, which is like the lowest stakes level in basketball, for some reason, people take the officiating as serious as I've ever seen. Like, I, I, I was stunned by how pissed off people were by just like, you know, the sophomore calling their, their intramural frat basketball game. But what I did learn from that is, is just that experience is just even at, you know, the minorest levels of competition, people are going to be pissed about officiating. You can never win as an official. But the, the easiest way to, to you know, be, do your job well as an official 
is to balance your freaking calls so that at the end of the game, when you loosen up a little, it, it makes sense. If you've been calling an extremely loose game and then decide to tighten up, which happened at Iowa, what happened against Iowa State, right? The game was called pretty evenly, not you know an overwhelming number of fouls, and then suddenly they just couldn't stop blowing the whistle. Iowa State fans are sitting there wondering why suddenly these calls are being made. Tech fans are loving it because it's benefiting us, but at the same time, like, do I doubt that Tech was doing some of this stuff on the other end too and wasn't getting called? It's this inconsistency that's killing college basketball. Pick a style and call it. It it, it doesn't seem that hard to be like, all right, our target for a game in any given game in a half should be like seven or eight fouls. Reasonably speaking, in every college basketball game, both teams should reach at least the bonus. They should reach that point around the six to five to four minute mark. Realistically, I think that's fair to say. What can't happen is either one of two things, like three fouls called up to that point, or alternatively, 15 fouls called at that point. You have to call an even game. And I think that's my problem with college officiating. There's no, there's just no flow to the game right now. Well, well, who was it? Who was it for Iowa State? Um, fouled out with ten minutes left in the second half. Like that was crazy. Yeah, no, like they had two. They had what was it? Two or three guys fouled in this game. Look, I think Iowa State was fouling. I also think Tech was fouling. I do not think either team should have been called for the number of fouls they were called for. Am I that mad about it? No, because in the past three years, I think Tech has had like 10 games in which the opposing team has shot like record numbers of three free throws. That's how teams have beaten Tech a lot in, in, in the Mark Adams defensive era. It's just they've outshot Tech at the line by like 20. You know, and that, that that's how Tech that's how Tech lost to Providence earlier this year. You know that this is how Tech has lost several games over the that they shouldn't have over this over this like you know no middle era. So I'm not going to like you know be the guy who's like, well, Tech, you know, didn't benefit that. But I also want to make clear that while Tech benefited, we have been on the receiving end of it. It's awful. There's no consistency. I think that it shouldn't be this. I don't want officials to be perfect. I want them to be consistent. If you're going to call a basketball game, the idea in your head should be simple. I need to control the game enough that fights don't break out. You know, I need to call the obvious stuff. Get the obvious stuff right. I need to get some of the harder fouls right. And look, I'm going to miss three or four of the block charge calls a game. You know, I'm going to miss the hard stuff. But I'm going to get the stuff I should get right, right. And that's what we're not seeing. They're either way too ticky-tacky or way too loose, and then they'll they'll switch it up, and then suddenly every touch is a foul. Like Clarence Naldoni fouls on almost every damn possession, right? But it's only called like 45% of the time. So if you're an offensive player, I understand why Naldoni is so frustrating to play against because what, what are you supposed to do? He's, he's not going to be called for it one possession and then will be called for it the next. So, you know, the, the soapbox about officiating aside, I'll keep my Iowa State thoughts very brief because I wanted to rail about the officials a bit and just say that what I was impressed about is despite the fact that we can't make a free throw to save anyone's life, that Tech is able to get to the rim as well as they are. And I think that's a credit to Adonis Arms. That's a credit to Clarence Naldoni. That's a credit to to, to uh, uh, Kevin McCuller. And that's a credit to um, Davion Warren for really taking on uh, a, a role of you know, we don't have the three-point shooting, so how this offense is going to have to work is we got to make the first guy miss and find the open guy. 
and that that that's allowed a lot of tech success. To, and the other thing is just good coaching. There's just been good offensive plays. And like I said, I'm going to keep that. All I'm going to say, just because I want to, I feel like I haven't ranted about the officiating this year, and it was time. So you know, I'll burn my minutes willingly to say that college basketball officiating is somehow good and bad, and that's kind of the problem. Um, we're going to move on. West Virginia. Speaking of bad officiating, um, you know, anytime you play the Mountaineers, especially in Morgantown, it can always be a bit of a shit show on the officiating end. So we got Mountaineers coming up. I, I've seen I. If you guys follow Smoking Musket, which you should do, by the way, um, I think that they're a pretty funny blog to follow just on face value. But they've been talking about this a lot. This is not your typical West Virginia team. <clears throat> the past couple of years, Bob Huggins' teams have been pretty bad. They've just been pretty bad. I mean, he hasn't had a lot of success. He's failed with his teams more often than he's won with them over the last three, four years. Before that, West Virginia teams were perennial powers. Press Virginia was a force to be reckoned with. Bob Huggins was winning games left and right. Uh, uh, you know, he's a Hall of Fame coach. They've always been well coached, always been played hard. But it's always gone one of two ways. They've either been very, very good or very, very bad. This season, just like college basketball officiating, they are wildly inconsistent. They are somewhere in the middle, and they're a bubble team, oddly enough. This may be the first year I've ever seen West Virginia really be a bubble team throughout. So you look at Bob Huggins' squad this year. They're coming into Lubbock. You can't afford to drop home games in the Big 12. You just can't do it. So, you know, what What are we looking for against the Mountaineers that, you know, Tech needs to just keep their eyes peeled? What, what do they do that is, you know, what's the strength of this team? How can Tech work to take it away? And, uh... I'll go to Jack first, just keeping our little semicircle going. So, Jack, like I said, what 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 do they do well? You know, what what does Tech need to do to counter that? And you know, what what are some points of your points of interest heading into this matchup? I'll I'll do one point, and so I'll leave it kind of uh, pretty open for uh, Kendall. My main concern on this team is uh, is Sean McNeil and his three point shooting. Uh, as and as as it should be for everyone, uh, Sean McNeil shoots forty six percent from the floor, forty two percent from three, and needless to say, he's having kind of a down year. So um, I don't want him to start getting hot against Tech. That's always your worry uh, in conference play: is that guys that uh, aren't shooting really well or shooting unchar- uncharacteristically poor from three find their shot against you in the game. And that's something that no one wants. But uh, I, for me, my focus is Sean McNeil from behind the arc. And to combat that, Tech just needs to play its game. Tech just needs to keep these guys on the side or on on the uh, on the outer perimeter, on the base, not on the baseline, but uh, you know, on the on the each respective sidelines, and you know, just keep them towards the side. Don't let them get towards the middle. Don't let their offense get into any sort of rhythm. Um, and you know, obviously, your your main guy that you're going to other than McNeil is obviously going to be Taz Sherman. Uh, you know, he he plays about what 35 minutes a game, scores about 19 points a game. Um, so you need to look out for Taz Sherman. Obviously, that's a given. He's been there for God, I don't even know how many. I feel like he's been there for a long time, but uh, this is at least year three, I want to say, but. Um, you just need to look at I my main point for this one 
we all know how we played in our last 11 a.m. game. Granted, we were out of gas. We had played four games in seven days, and it just wasn't a good showing. We're rested this time, and we've had time to, you know, actually practice and look at our opponent. My main concern is going to be Sean McNeil from from outside. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much my main thing, my main concern with this uh, West Virginia team at this point. Kendall, same question to you with a slight spin. When you look at West Virginia, not only is the, the, the question, you know, what do they do well but where do you think they can find their best advantage? You know, if you if you're pointing to an area that they really just like they're just better at it than tech or could be better at it in this game, where where are you most looking for that that to fall? You know, uh just kind of looking throughout their stats and everything, Jalen Bridges is a guy that uh can kind of make or break their uh, really just their whole game offensively. Uh, if he, He's a guy that if he gets going, uh, they typically are competing at a high level. Uh, like last week when they played Oklahoma State and beat them by 10, he had 22. But, you know, in their losses against Baylor and uh, Kansas State, or not Kansas State, uh, Texas, uh, he had worse shooting games. And uh, really, obviously, Sean McNeil, he's the biggest – He's the last year he killed us, uh, especially in Morgantown. Like he just destroyed everything on the outside shooting, and that's the biggest weakness to the no middle. Is if a team does get hot uh, from behind the arc, and if they're gonna find an advantage, I think that's where it's gonna be because you know we should be able to out rebound them. Uh, defensively they're just not the same West Virginia team they're not like those press Virginia teams that uh are going to clamp you down almost every possession and make you work for every bucket there's going to be opportunities there offensively they're probably actually one of the on the bottom half I would say of uh just big 12 defenses right now um I would say what kind of concerns me is just Taz Sherman is he's really damn good Uh, I think he's one of the it might be the only player this year uh since conference play started to to win multiple big 12 player of the weeks uh you know against Baylor uh Sherman was he once he got going that's when Baylor after Baylor took a pretty big lead but once Sherman got going they were able to get back in that game and I think if you slow him down, you slow a lot of their offense down because he just kind of does a little bit of everything. He kind of creates more offense for the rest of his team when he's playing good because all the focus kind of shifts to him. And that's what's going to lead to possible open shots from McNeil's. If Sherman gets going, it kind of just all piggybacks off of one another. So I think to really shut down this team, you have to shut down him. But we should have a pretty big advantage down low, in my opinion. They don't their top scorers are really just their guards and uh defensively uh it's just not the same they obviously don't have Sheway down there anymore and uh you know just the heart of their team really in the past has 
past couple of years, even when they're struggling, they've the best thing advantage they've had has been the paint. And uh, that is also what in the past has opened up so much stuff for McNeil against us was, uh, shoot, I can't think of that guy's name last year. That just was a Derek Culver. He freaking killed us on the boards the past two years. And uh, them not having him anymore is going to be a really big advantage for Tech. And I, I personally, if this if Tech plays the way I know they can and they have, I think Tech should be able to win this game fairly easily. I just think we have a lot of advantages against West Virginia that we haven't had against them in the past. And like Mike said, this just isn't your normal West Virginia team. It's just like I think they're lacking in talent overall, and I think that they actually could be up there for they're definitely in the bottom half of the Big 12 but you know the way K-State's playing and TCU even I think that uh West Virginia could be right there for one of the worst teams in the Big 12 so we should be able to handle this game I just don't think they have that many advantages on us Yeah I think I think you guys pretty much summed it up I mean if Tech's going to get beat this year I think the way to beat Tech is what you know Gonzaga did is just you just bury tech under an avalanche of threes, or you go the Providence method, which is for one on the one hand, you you tech if tech goes cold, you put us in a zone and you just stonewall tech's offense, and on the other hand, you just hope the officials call a billion fouls and bail you out every possession. Either of those two methods will prove successful for you against tech, um, depending on the officiating, depending on the, the shooting uh, on a given night. So when I look at West Virginia. I would just, the word that comes to mind is just, eh, you know, I mean, they're just, they're not bad. Nobody in the big 12 is they're a top 50 Ken Palm team. I think they're a top 50 net team. They're not bad. They're, they're, they're not even, I wouldn't even describe them as necessarily mediocre. They're just not special. You know, you haven't heard a lot about West Virginia this year for a reason. That doesn't mean that they can't beat you. You know, any team in the Big 12 can beat you on any given night. Everyone is good enough to beat everybody else. And West Virginia is one run away from becoming, you know, a, a, a competitor for the, a serious competitor for, a, a, you know, like a six seed, four seed kind of range. You know, I think they're going to get into the tournament. I think they'll win enough to do that. I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're good enough that they're solidly in the, you know, like the, six, seven spot of the big 12 power hierarchy right now. But I don't know, you know, what their ceiling is. I don't know what their floor is. And all I really know is like Bob Huggins is going to coach them hard. They'll be well coached. They'll be prepared every week. You just don't know what you're going to get with them. I mean, like case in point, the Kansas game, I think people were surprised at how close the first half really was until Kansas just ran away with the game. I mean, they just completely ran them off the court. And, you know, this year's Kansas squad in particular hasn't done that to a ton of Big 12 opponents. So it was telling that West Virginia really struggled. They also lost to Texas. You know, Texas hasn't beaten freaking anybody of any note. And you, they, they got beat pretty handily there. Um, I, I just don't – I don't know what West Virginia does well enough to say for certain, like, they can beat you or how they can beat you. But, I mean, you, you – you could argue Tech should have beaten Kansas State. Even a healthy Kansas State squad, Tech probably should have handled with some ease if they're actually as good as we all think they are. 
So, again, everybody in the Big 12 is good enough to beat you. Everybody can have a hot shooting night and run you off the court. Everybody plays a defense at a high enough level to be, you know, a challenge. This just isn't, if you're expecting to see Press Virginia, you're not going to see it. If you're expecting to see those doormat teams that have been, you know, kind of Bob Huggins' thing the last few years, you're not going to see that either. What you're going to see is a West Virginia team that struggling to find an identity, struggling to find consistency, struggling to, to prove that they belong in this Big 12. Um, we're reaching just about, I think, truly the halfway point of the season, or we're well past the halfway point of the season. I mean, the halfway point of the conference season, and I, I just don't know enough about West Virginia, and that that should concern, you know, I'm sure the Mountaineer fans feel the same way. It's just when you just don't know what your team's going to need to do to win on any given night, that's tough, and that that they're they're struggling to figure out how do we win. You know that this was a problem. Speaking of throwbacks, this was a problem in Chris Beard's first year. You know, when that, that first team came in where Keenan Evans hadn't matured yet, that that Justin Gray, Noren, Sodiase, you know, group, group of guys hadn't really come into their own yet, and they just didn't know how to win. They lost every road game. You know, they just they, they would beat teams badly, upset some teams, and then fall apart. That, that reminds me a lot of this West Virginia squad. Nobody would describe them as bad. Nobody would describe them as particularly good. And honestly, sometimes that's the most dangerous kind of team to play because they desperately need a win. They need a big win in a big way. And getting one in Lubbock, which is apparently, you know, becoming quite the fortress, is one of the better wins in college basketball, which is a testament to Mark Adams' squad that I don't know if anybody feels like they can come into Lubbock and win anymore. So that you're going to get their best shot, no doubt. You're going to get everybody's best shot in the Big 12. But I'm cautiously optimistic that this one could be another game in which you 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 seize control some point in the second half and just really cruise which is going to lead us to predictions you know i i think i i am can guess everyone's going to predict a tech win what i am curious about is the margin of victory so jack you'll go first here what's the score on saturday tech wins yes i will predict it's shocking uh tech will win and as we mentioned, you know, West Virginia is just not the same this year as they have been in the past. Um, you know, again, when they played uh, when they played Texas in that terrible, terrible uh, motion offense, you know, they gave up 74 points to Texas. So, um, you know, I'm thinking – you know, like I'm thinking right around 15 points. Uh, so I'm I'm going to go out and say uh, 77 to 62. Kendall, where, how, how are you feeling? Uh, see, Jack, that uh, that game against Texas for West Virginia, it's kind of kind of hard to judge off that just because I they were missing a lot of their team, including Taz Sherman, but. Uh, I still think that Tech is probably going to open this game as something like an eight and a half, nine and a half point favorite, uh, and I just think that being at home during an eleven a.m. game is a much different feeling than being on the road for an eleven a.m. game. So I think Tech is going to come out pretty hot in this game. Uh, I would say that offensively we should be able to kind of do what we want. Uh, I just don't think. West Virginia is going to be able to keep up offensively. 
I think that uh, I just think them coming into Lubbock, I I can guarantee that even though it's 11 a.m., the USA is going to be rocking. Uh, I think that Tech is going to win something like 75 to 57. I would say that for if this game was in Morgantown and when they play in Morgantown, I will expect a pretty hotly contested game. It, it Morgantown is an underrated venue for any number of reasons. I've talked about them in various formats before. In Lubbock, though, in which you remove West Virginia's really, you know, on paper only advantage, which is, you know, how just difficult it is to go play in Morgantown, how rowdy that stadium can get, how tough it is to travel there. And you take that out and you add in what is what becoming, you know, one of a top, you know, 10, 15 environment in the country if not higher in terms of basketball venue for, for text column, I don't think this one's going to be particularly close. Um, call it foolish optimism, but you've been beating everybody at home with some pretty impressive performances. And I think, you know, West Virginia is closer to Oklahoma state than they are to Kansas. So I'm going to lean towards more of an Oklahoma State-style victory. I think you push the lead up big heading into the the halftime, you know, heading into halftime or, you know, a couple minutes of the second half. I think you run away with this one, 2022 20, points. I'm going to say, let's go 79-57. You know, I think, I think that's, if Tech is going to win big, part of what they have to do is score, you know, they've got to score. Somebody's got to score. And I just think Tech's going to be able to score against this Mountaineer team. I, I, we've been false. We've been wrong a couple times, folks. We didn't preview the Kansas State game. Tech gets beat, you know, uh, drops their first um, really bad loss of the year. And even it's not that bad of a loss because now Kansas State is a quad one team, but at the time was a bad loss. So, Take all of our optimism, all of the hype with a grain of salt, but I, I don't think that Tech fans have any reason to be concerned until this team shows that they're not going to play well at home. Um, I do want to make this point, and it's it's one that we've all been kind of beating around, and uh, before we close, I just want to say a big congratulations, really, to everybody who's been a part of Tech's environments this year. I, I just, it's kind of insane that, you know, the Oklahoma State game, which was at a just dog shit time. I mean, what was that, like a 6 p.m. on a Monday, Tuesday? Like, that that should be one of your worst crowds of the year. And the students showed up. The fans showed up. And then, you know, the, the fo- then that at that time being, even when the students weren't even back on campus yet, the people had just started trickling in, made their way out to the stadium. It just, it, it it's it's becoming a source of pride, I think, for Tech to put together these kinds of crowds and it's just, it, it's, it's impressive. And what is coming on February 1st will be a sight to see what is coming when they head to Austin will be a sight to see. I, I just want to say for, to our listeners, anybody who's been a part of that, you know, can just, just give yourself a pat on the back. You know, I, I you, you burned it. You spend your hard earned money to make that happen. And it has paid dividends. I, I, I mentioned it. I don't think at this point in time, anybody feels good about coming into Lubbock. You know, I, I think even teams like Baylor, which are incredible basketball teams, feel like that's a game on their schedule they probably chalk up as a loss. 
Also, sh- also shoot us a DM uh, on Twitter at uh, Homer's Hub. Uh, because I don't know. I think, Mike, are you going to be in I know I'm going to be in Austin for sure. I am fortunate enough to make the trip. I definitely got pushed up in the price range more than I wanted to be. But my family, well, myself and my two my two brothers and my dad, we will be making the trip up for that game. So that'll be, I'll be around and somewhere in the nosebleeds. And uh, uh, yeah, and I and I'll and I'll be in Austin as well. So if you're, you know, if you're uh, in, out in Austin and you've been a part of that red takeover that we've seen uh, taking over Twitter over the past, uh, well, I guess now that we're recording this over the past like twelve hours, I guess. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's amazing, you know, even Barstool wrote a freaking article about it, which is hilarious to me. But, um, you know, if you've been, a, if you're a part of that and you got tickets for the awesome game, send us a DM, send us a DM our way. And, uh, you know, we love, we'd love to meet y'all out there and, uh, you know, uh, get to meet some of our listeners for sure. Yeah, for certain, say hi, um, you, you know, take take tons of pictures, guys. Like that, the, I I will say one thing that has helped tech and national perception is just the you know sea of social media posts regarding the the outcome. Like it's the, the, these crowds have been insane, but ESPN with these these I can't say the f word again. I've said it too many times. Sports Blog Nation would be mad at me, but you know what? They they didn't give us a contract for like six months, so I'm going to say it anyways. These fucking remote broadcasts are brutal and they really take away from what the crowds are doing. So, you know, put as many videos as you can, as you take in, put your pictures up. Um, I think they're hysterical. I, I think every time it's just like that, this is just incredible to witness um, a program that has never, you know, been considered a blue blood basketball program, having crowds that are honestly look more fun than anywhere else in the country including, you know, Cameron Indoor, including the fog. Like, they're just, they're just it's an insane environment right now in the USA, and it's an ins- it's insane how well Tech is traveling. I've made this point before. I'm always impressed by how Tech travels as basketball fans. So, yeah, say shoot us a note. Send us pictures of where you're at in the stadium when that game comes up. If you're fortunate enough to get to go to the February 1st matchup, I'm going to say this now, and we'll talk about this later. You know, limit... Limit the damage a bit, folks. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the environment. But you guys know what the line is. But, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get to the go to that game, document it for the rest of us because I, I want to see how it looks and get live sights and sounds from that environment. Um, we once again did not have Reed tonight, unfortunately. He is a busy man and hard to nail down. So I'm hoping to have him back very soon. I like to do get to the four of us Um Keep an eye out for additional content. We're going to start getting ready for baseball season. The Texas game is obviously going to get its own episode. SEC Challenge right around the corner. A lot of basketball left to be played. A lot of tech sports coming up. Keep your eyes peeled. Head over to Viva the Matadors to read some articles. Um, you know, just interact with us on Twitter. Ask us questions, whatever you guys want. You can DM us. DM Viva the Matadors. We always, I will almost always respond, um, depending what you what you say. And, you know... Always, always, always remember, folks, that when Tech loses, the referees were bad. When Tech wins, the referees were good, and that's all that really matters at the end of the day. So wreck them, folks, and enjoy 
hopefully another victory at home on Saturday.